This week, we began our series on the Holy Spirit, four sermons on the Holy Spirit, which, as I said a moment ago, uh, will not even really begin to, to cover much about it. The, the thing about the Holy Spirit, I, I grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist church, and so we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, unless you're talking about the days of Pentecost where the tongues of fire came down and set on the apostles, uh, or unless you're talking about when Jesus came up out of his baptism and the Holy Spirit descended on like a dove. Those were the two stories that were acceptable to teach on the Holy Spirit in the church that I grew up in. And, I, and I, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek. I don't know that it was unacceptable to talk about the Holy Spirit in other ways. I just grew up never hearing about him. Uh, so I grew up and he- heard a lot about God. And I heard a lot about how God was the creator and how he made things. And in the Old Testament, anytime that people were teaching about Abraham or Noah or Daniel, they would talk a lot about God. And then I was taught New Testaments about Jesus. And I was never really, like the Holy Spirit didn't have a place like in, in, the, in my upbringing. And, and so it was really interesting as I got older and really began to study the scripture on my own and see like that the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the entire Bible. I was like, man, why, why is it that we, I was never taught about this guy? And so I don't know where you stand. I don't know if you kind of have maybe a Pentecostal background. So like the Holy Spirit is like, you know, front and center for you. Or if you grew up in a fundamentalist background like me, where the Holy Spirit is like, you know, I, I, I mean, I know he exists, but I don't know. You know, I'm kind of uncomfortable with him. Is he a ghost or whatever? Like, I don't know. We call him the Holy Ghost. Is he a ghost? Like, what does that mean? Was he living? Is he dead? I don't know. What does he look like? Uh, Pierce has this really cool, like, like dove, you know, galaxy kind of thing. And so I think this is a cool picture. Uh, but um, like, I want us to be as comfortable with the Holy Spirit as we are with talking about God and Jesus, uh, God the Father and God the Son, because here's something, I'm, I'm just going to say it right now because it's an it's a irritation to me a little bit, not something that you would do, but like, I, I'm going to just throw it out there so that when you see me squirm a little bit, you'll know why I'm squirming. The, the term Trinity never appears in the Bible, Okay. So you hear people talk about God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the Trinity. That term itself never appears in the Bible. And and it is a term that theologians use to just kind of, it's a summary statement. We who follow God, we who have put our faith in Jesus, we believe in a triune God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that they work in tandem, that they work together, that they are of the same nature and of the same power, and yet that they're different beings, that they're different people, that they're different personalities, if you will, with the same intent and the same power and the same glory and the same purpose. Uh, When God says in Genesis chapter 1, let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness, there is an inclusion there of the Holy Spirit, there is an inclusion there of the Son, and and there there is a plurality to it, and yet a singularity to it, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, in our world that parallels it. Uh, When I was growing up, people used to teach God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit like the three states of water. So you have liquid, you have vapor, if it's steam, you know, or you have ice. But that's not, that, that doesn't work, because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are somehow the same and yet still different, you know, different persons, but the same, same in form, same in function. And, and I promise you uh, that ice, uh, ice serves a different purpose than water and water a different purpose than steam. Like it's, they're, uh, they're, they're different. They're not the same, right? Uh, and, and, and so then, then I heard people would say something like, it's like an apple. You've got the skin, you've got the meat of the apple, and you've got the core. 
sort of, but that doesn't work either. And then, then there were people who were like, it's like an egg. It's, you've got the yolk, you've got the white, and you've got the shell, but you can put them all in different Tupperware things. And then uh, there was somebody who said in college, it's like a casserole, you know? All these different ingredients, but it's all one casserole. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of messy. A lot of casseroles are really gross and disgusting. And, 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 and so then... Then the one that I heard that I loved for a long time, wrongly, I think, I'm just going to tell you, but the one that I loved for a long time was kind of like me. I'm Ryan, and to my mom, I'm a son, and to my wife, I'm a husband, and to my boys, I'm a father, so I'm one person with three roles. But the problem that you have there is that in the Bible, there are three distinct persons, and I am certainly not three distinct persons, despite the fact that I talk to myself a lot. Um, And so there isn't anything in our world. So listen to me. I'm just going to tell you now. I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Do not show up Wednesday night and say, explain how the Trinity works. Please don't. I don't know. I've been working on it for 25 years. There isn't anything in our culture, in our world. There isn't anything that looks like this, but here's where we stand as a church, and here's where we ought to stand as believers. There is one God eternally existing in three persons who all have the same power, who all have the same purpose and glory and majesty, and that brings us to our theology today, which is this. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? The Holy Spirit is God. And so so don't... I don't know about you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Yeah, I think I will, just for fun, because we don't ever do that. But like, when I grew up, my, thank you, that was preemptive raising, yeah, you know, yeah, just going. But, but when I grew up, I believed that God had a little bit more power and authority than Jesus, and Jesus had a little bit more power and authority than the Holy Spirit. In my mind, and I can't remember anybody ever saying this, but in my mind, there was a hierarchy uh, to their power and their authority. Did anybody else kind of just have that feeling, maybe? God's bigger than Jesus. Jesus is bigger than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's kind of like on the, on the bottom of the totem pole, which, by the way, is a misnomer, because in Native American culture, the one that was on the bottom of the totem pole was the strongest because it supported all the rest. So whenever somebody says, man, I'm the low man on the totem pole, what they're really saying is I'm the best, uh, <laughs> they, just don't, they just don't know that that they're saying that. And so here's, here's what I want us to understand. Th- these guys, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in their power. When the Bible says of Jesus that he is the exact imprint and the fullness of the glory of God, uh, like, okay, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting excited. It, it, I grew up being taught that God was the creator, which is a truth. That's a truth. The Bible's clear about it in the Old Testament, that God is the one who created, he holds all things together in the hollow of his hand, right? But then you get to the New Testament. Genesis 1-1 begins this way, in the beginning, God. John 1-1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so John started his gospel the same way Genesis started, and then John starts talking about how everything that was created was created through Christ, So Genesis starts with God as the creator. John starts with, let me tell you about Jesus, who is the creator. So the Bible tells us in Genesis that God made everything. The Bible tells us in John that Jesus made everything, that nothing was created apart from Christ. And then in Colossians 1, that Christ holds everything together by the word of his power. And yet, Genesis 1-2 says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you have the Father present in creation, you have the Son present in creation, and you have the Spirit present in creation, right? 
And then, and then we talked about this a couple of months ago during our Advent series, but then in Matthew 1, uh, 18, Mary is visited by Mary of Jesus, you know, Mary and Joseph, right? Jesus, okay. His mama. The Bible says that an angel was sent by God to visit Mary and to tell her, you're going to give birth to the son, Jesus, who is the savior. Okay. This isn't a creation of Jesus. Jesus was not created. He, he came from heaven in form of humanity, and he was placed in Mary's womb by what power, Matthew 1.18 says? By the Holy Spirit. And so even in the coming of Jesus, we see the three working in unity, in purpose, right? Listen, we, we ought to be able to talk about the Holy Spirit the same way we talk about Jesus. We ought to be able to talk about the Holy Spirit the same way we talk about the Father. We ought to be able to talk about, because, because the three of them together collectively have not only our creation, not only our redemption, but our holiness and our life and our resurrection, like all of it is tied up in these three. This is not, it, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit comes in tongues of fire, right? Or, or in, in the Gospels, in like uh, Matthew chapter 4, when, when uh, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. That's not the Holy Spirit's first kind of time on the stage. This isn't him just now showing up. He's been present throughout the entire Old Testament. I'm super excited about what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at a lot of the Old Testament text as well. But the Holy Spirit has power. Right, and and so the father, the father uh, sits on the throne as king, and whether he sits on a physical throne or a metaphorical throne, the, the the point is that the father is king. That Christ the Son is going to receive from the Father a kingdom one day and will rule forever. And then the Holy Spirit almost is the one that like brings it all to pass, like is is causing the efficacy of it all and the and the fruitfulness of it all. And so the Holy Spirit is God. Don't don't make the mistake of thinking that the Holy Spirit is somehow disconnected from this. One of my favorite texts. In the whole scripture, uh, I don't know, I have like 40 of those, um, and, and probably way more, but, but one of my favorite texts is, is uh, if, if anybody ever says to you, you know, the prophets in the Old Testament who were writing about Jesus, that, that wrote about Jesus, they didn't know they were writing about Jesus. They're wrong. If anybody ever tells you that the prophets who were writing about Christ didn't know they were writing about Christ... Those people are wrong. And here's how we know. One of my favorite texts. 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you so we don't turn to it right now and flip back and forth a whole bunch. But 1 Peter uh, 1, 10 through 12 says, The prophets of old inquired of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, inquired of the Spirit about the things that they were writing as to when these days would be fulfilled knowing that it was not for them that they were recording the coming Savior, but for us on who these days have come to pass. So get this, as the prophets are pinning these things in their scrolls, they, they are aware that they are writing about the Messiah. They are aware that they are writing not about their present days, but days that are yet to come. And they are so intrigued by it, they are inquiring of the Holy Spirit who is guiding them these things that we're writing, when are they going to come to pass? And who are they inquiring of? They're inquiring of the Spirit, because the Spirit is a teacher, which is, by the way, our sermon in two weeks. Good. I like you. Please keep coming back. I like the, I like the vocality. All of you who are going, man, like, like, it's okay. 
Like, I, I talk to you. It's okay to talk to me. See? That's how that works. So the Holy Spirit, oh, man, like, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter that there isn't a single piece of Scripture that was ever written that wasn't written by the Holy Spirit. That no person ever wrote of their own volition, but only as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, right? So Jesus came to be a sacrifice. God has set himself up as king. But the Spirit, his primary role seems to be the revelation of God. To teach and to instruct and to shape us into an understanding of who God is. And so what we read in the Old Testament, listen, the only reason you're reading any, the only reason you have this is because the Holy Spirit exists. So if you have an affection for the Scripture at all, it is because the Spirit has made it accessible. Right? So those of you who say, man, I love the Scripture, what you're really saying, maybe without having thought of it, is what you're really saying is, man, I love the, I love the Spirit. <laughs> I love that the Spirit, I'm getting ahead, that's teaching. Okay, that's two weeks from now. Stay in your lane, Ryan. All right, here we go. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. I told you to go to Romans 8, but I'm going to start in Romans 1. So just turn back a few pages here. I love this. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, which we know were written by the Spirit of God, right? Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, but was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel of God according to the scriptures that the prophets wrote about, carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm adding that in because we just saw that in 1 Peter. He goes, I declare to you Jesus who according to the flesh, if you're tracing out his lineage, according to the flesh, comes from David, but according to the Spirit of God, comes from God as evidenced by his resurrection from the dead. You will not find in the scripture Trinity, but you find so many places in the scripture where it says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in a text like this that I could spend the next eight weeks just walking you through these texts and showing you how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit work in tandem and work in unity, and are one. I, Paul, he says, a servant of Christ Jesus, by the gospel of God, testify to you the truth of who Jesus is as the Holy Spirit has testified about him. Flip over, if you would, to chapter 8. One of my favorite texts, right? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, let me just pause here. I've tried to make a point of this over the last five weeks. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, you do not need to earn his pleasure. You do not need to earn his affection. He has given it to you of his own grace and of his own mercy. God has set his love upon you because it is the nature of God to be loving. He has set his grace upon you because it is his nature to be gracious. And if you are in Christ, you are forgiven and you are righteous and you are holy because God has declared it to be so. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the own flesh, could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is a text about salvation. This is a text about your righteousness. This is a text about your forgiveness. And it says that those who are in Christ are free from condemnation because having put your faith in Jesus, God has accomplished what the law couldn't do. The law of the Old Testament says, if you do all these things, you'll be holy. That's what the law says. And no one could do it, the Bible says, because of the weakness of the flesh. In other words, we were so weak, we couldn't ever fulfill the law. We, anybody, anybody ever say like, man, I, I, can't, I can't do it. You know, I just, I, I can't be kinder. I can't be this. I can't be that. I'm just a human. Because of the weakness of the flesh, because of our frailty, God accomplished what he did through Christ for righteousness, for salvation, so that we, who, that we would no longer live according to our flesh. We're no longer living according to ourselves. We're now living by the power of the Holy Spirit. The life that you lead and the life that I lead now as believers, we are not asked to do this by our own power. We are asked to live these lives as believers by the power of God in us through the form of the Holy Spirit, who has been set on us as a seal, according to Ephesians 1.13. That's in three weeks. Listen, yeah, previews, right? I want you to keep coming back. It, it's really hard for, because like I, I want to, basically what I want to do is teach all four sermons in one, four different times. And so it, I just, I'm excited about this. And, and, and so, so what we were incapable of doing because of our weak, stupid, pathetic flesh that couldn't honor God in our own ability, God did by sending his son to accomplish the law, to accomplish righteousness, and then didn't leave it there. He gave us the Spirit then as the empowering force by which we would accomplish those things. And that's good news. That's really exciting. That the Spirit of God is active in, in, our, in our maturation process. Look a little bit further down. I love this text as well. Look at uh, chapter 8, beginning in... Uh, I don't know. Let, let's begin in verse 12. I, in my notes, I said 16, but we really need to begin in verse 12. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. There is no being a son of God apart from the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 9 tells us that, by the way. You, however, not, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God lives in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ. There is no salvation apart from the Spirit. And if you have made it this far in your life without being familiar with who the Holy Spirit is, shame on us, right? Because we cannot be part of who Christ is apart from the Spirit. It is impossible. There is no coming to salvation. There is no walking in the things of God apart from the Holy Spirit in us. And it, and it says here, so then, brothers, we don't owe a debt to ourselves, to our flesh. I want you to understand what he's saying here. Flesh, most, when I was growing up, people taught that flesh was sin nature. That is not how Paul's using flesh here. Here he's using flesh to mean human effort. Okay? What he's saying is, I am not in debt to my flesh. In other words, I am not in debt to my own strength. I didn't get myself salvation. I am in debt to who? The Spirit. 
The Spirit is the one that gives me life. I don't have life according to my own effort. Listen to, read it, read verse 13 this way. For if you try to live according to the flesh, in other words, if you try to live according to human effort, you will what? Die. You're frail. Your human effort will not ever bring you near to God. But if you live by the Spirit and you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption uh, as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children of God, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ in order that we might be glorified with him, provided we also suffer with him. You have the spirit of God living inside you by the power of God so that you can become an heir of God and stand shoulder to shoulder as co-heirs with Christ and not only suffer along with Christ, but be glorified together along with him. It is the working of the three. The working of Of the three. Do we believe in the Spirit? We 100% believe in the Spirit. To say that we do not believe in the Spirit is to say we do not believe the Scriptures. By whom the Spirit teaches us. Man, I I just... I feel like we're going to get to the end of this sermon. And our thesis, right? Our theology is the Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And I feel like we're going to get to the end of this sermon and you're going to be like, well, he didn't tell us very much. Like, there are so many texts in the New Testament that do this. If you're wondering what I'm doing, the reason I'm reading you texts that lump together the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is I want you to see what we've been taught. And maybe, maybe this isn't you. Maybe I'm just preaching to myself here. What I was taught growing up is look at what God did and look at how Jesus died. And that's where the story for me ended That's where the teaching ended. And whenever people talked about the Holy Spirit, they talked about the dove or tongues of fire, and that was it. And what I want to do by looking at these texts is tell you, you can't look at texts on salvation and read about God and the Son, God the Father and God the Son, without also reading about the Holy Spirit. In other words, and not to throw any of my preachers under the bus, but maybe to throw them under a golf cart, you know, so that they get a little bit hurt at least. Like not trying to kill them, but like trying to like, you know, give them a shin bruise that's going to really irritate them for a few days. Like, like you have to deliberately leave out the spirit. If you're going to teach these texts and say, look at what God has done, look at what Jesus has done, but not teach what the spirit has done. It is a deliberate choice to ignore the spirit because he's right there in the text. And we will not be those people. We will not make the deliberate choice to leave out the Spirit when we preach these texts. I I don't know how you preach these texts and neglect the teaching of the Spirit, how you just gloss over them. The Spirit's mentioned more in these verses than God the Father and God the Son. How do you do that? How is it that I can grow up in church, having been in church my entire life, and when I think about this text, what I think about is not first the Spirit, but first the Father and the Son? Or I don't think about the Spirit at all. How does that happen if not an intentional neglect of who the Holy Spirit is? I'm going to flip over, and you're welcome to join me. Just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, I'm going to read you a text out of 1 Corinthians 2 first, and then I'll go to 12. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says this, 
beginning in verse 1. And I came to you, brothers. I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God by lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Here's what he says. Paul, uh, this is an interesting thing. I wish we had time to explain it. Ask me about it Wednesday night in Bible study. But essentially what is happening here is that were some false teachers who had come to Corinth, and and they're preaching... uh, like really boldly, and the people are believing it. And Paul says, you know, look, I didn't come to you with eloquent words. I didn't come to you with fancy language. He goes, I came to you with one determination to only preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I did so by the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would rest in God and not me. Let me ask you this question. It's supposed to be an obvious question. It's supposed to be rhetorical. The answer is supposed to be yes. Can anybody... Can, can, are, are there people who exist who are so dynamic and so persuasive that they can get in front of an audience and sway them just by their speech? Yeah. Paul says, that's not my goal. I didn't come to you to try to persuade you with my speech. I didn't come to you and try to be impressive. I came to you and held up Christ as impressive so that your faith wouldn't be because of who I am, but because of who God is. You think in the whole history of the church, anyone ever was convinced, was persuaded to believe in Jesus because of the preacher? You think that ever happened that somebody was like, oh man, that guy, he's convincing. I might want to be a Christian. It almost happened with King Agrippa, right? When Paul was arrested, King Agrippa hears the testimony of Paul and he goes, whoa, whoa. He goes, you're almost persuading me to be a Christian. He was almost captivated enough. And Paul's like, man, like it's about Jesus, not about me. Because here's the truth. If your faith in God depends upon Ryan, that will fail you. But if your faith in God depends upon the Spirit and upon God, that will bring you life. So Paul says, man, I wanted to preach only one thing amongst you, that Christ was crucified. I didn't do it by any power of my own. I did it in fear and weakness and in much trembling so that you would see the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would be an issue of who God is. What are we seeing again in that text? That even Paul's preaching was not just a matter, the content Jesus, right? The content Jesus, the gospel presented by God, the power for the preaching, the Holy Spirit. Like even the preaching, even, even biblical preaching has in it all of them. If you ever stand before a preacher and, 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 and the lesson that you take away, your takeaway is I need to be a better person, then, there was the, then the core of the message was wrong. The core of the message should be Christ, who was sent by God. And the power of the message should be from the Holy Spirit, not from the guy on the stage. And so Paul says all of that. Here's the preaching. It's the preaching of Jesus, who was sent by God, so that your faith will be a matter of God. And the power of the teaching, he says, is by the Holy Spirit. But again, power is next week, so I should stop talking about that for right now. Pick up with me in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll talk about this text in detail in three weeks at the end of February. 
1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit can ever say Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. I just want to pause here and just tell you this is an incredible text. No one who has the Spirit can say Jesus is cursed. And no one can declare Jesus Lord of their life apart from the Spirit's work in them. The Spirit is necessary not only for our understanding of who God is, but our comprehension of Jesus and our coming to faith. Romans, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Bible tells us right here that no one can declare Jesus as Lord apart from the power of the Holy Spirit inside them. Like that, that's, that's God working in you. Now, some of you, your mind is going to things like election and Calvinism. Don't do that. The focus of this sermon is not any of those things. The focus of this sermon is the spirit. Don't let your mind be distracted by theological terms and things that have only been around for 500 years. Let your mind be focused on the spirit who has no beginning and has eternally existed. How is it that I, as a three-year-old, came to the place where I said, Jesus is Lord? All I can tell you for sure is that that declaration could not happen apart from the work of the Spirit in me. That's what I can tell you. How do I know? Because no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the work of the Spirit. It's impossible. And then I just want to highlight the next few verses here. Listen to these. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but one Spirit. There are a variety of services, but one Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. This is awesome. We'll talk about this in three weeks when we talk about the spiritual gifts, but listen to the, the summation of it. There are all kinds of spiritual gifts, but one spirit who gives them. There are all kinds of ministries, but one Lord and Savior, Jesus, who creates those ministries. And then the efficacy of those ministries, the efficacy of those gifts are empowered by one God. So if you have a spiritual gift, you have it by the Spirit. If you have been given an avenue to use that gift, you've been given it by Jesus the Son. And if that gift is effective, it is because of the empowering of God. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit. Let Him be in our conversation as much as the Father and the Son. There isn't favorites among them. They're not playing favorites. They're not diminishing. Jesus, the Bible says, who was in the very form God, did not chase equality with God. Why? Because it was his purpose to submit himself to the Father as a servant. Not because he was less than the Father, but because it was what his role required. And he submitted himself to the Father as a servant, not only so that he would go to death and redeem us, but so that he would be an example to us of how to submit ourselves to the Father. And then the Spirit came in and empowered all. All these things, these three work in unity. How is it that there are three who are somehow the same? I have no idea. Quit spending your energy on that. It is okay to not know some things. Let me put, let me, let me, let me just throw this at you right here. And I can't remember if this is Job 14 or Job 26, so don't hold it against me. But I think Job 14. 
where it says that the Lord God suspends the earth on nothing and wraps up the rain in the clouds so that the clouds don't burst under the weight of them. And that the Lord God, he puts the stars and he knows them by name and he catches the fleeing serpent, Rahab, and he strikes it down. And it kind of goes through some of these creation elements. And it says, and these, if you understand all of these, in other words, if you understand how God has created everything, these, it says, are the edges of his ways, the faintest whisper of his ways. Who could understand his mighty thunderings? In other words, if you can understand how creation works, you have understood the whisper of God, the edges of his ways. How then are we expected to understand three in one? I'll give you one more text just to maybe set your mind a little bit at ease. One of my favorite texts from college when my life was not going the way that I expected it should go and everything was falling apart and life was really hard. And by the way, I do not think it is okay to take a text and just apply it to your situation. We have to understand it in context. So I'm not saying that. But hear me say this. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12 is asking God, why are all these things happening? Why are the enemies of God coming against Jerusalem? And why are these things taking place? And God answers Jeremiah in Jeremiah 12, 5. And he says this, Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? Let me explain to you what God just said. He says to Jeremiah, if you can't understand the basic things that I'm doing, how in the world do you expect to understand these bigger things that I'm doing? If the foot race with men is wearing you out, why are you asking to race with horses? So here's what I would say to you. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are three in one. And since I do not yet understand the basics of creation and how God has completely imparted righteousness to me so that I should not be counted guilty anymore, I'm not going to wrestle my brain with trying to figure out how the three are one, but the scripture declares them to be. You want to use the word Trinity? That's fine. But let us understand the theological principle behind it, that the Spirit is also God. Our application today is this. Regard him as worthy of honor and praise. Regard the Spirit as worthy of honor and praise. Man, it's an interesting thing. Jesus died for us. God formed us. He sent his son to die for us. And yet all of that has no bearing on our life apart from the Spirit opening our eyes to it. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.13. And there I can say we because... In Ephesians 1.13, he's talking about the Jews who have put their faith in Jesus and the Gentiles who have put their faith in Jesus. And I happen to be in the latter category. I am a Gentile who's put my faith in Jesus. And we who have put our faith in Jesus have been sealed, have been marked by the Holy Spirit. We who belong to Christ, Romans 8.9 that we looked at a moment ago, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things for God because our ability and our power and our thinking was too futile to ever draw us near to God. And now the Spirit of God has gloriously filled us with the place where we say Jesus is Lord. And our praise is Jesus is Lord, but our ability ability to praise is by the Spirit. Think about that for a minute. Don't, don't miss the fact. I just want to point this out to you. Revelation 4, 
The Father is on the throne and people bow down and worship him. Revelation 5, the Son is on the throne and people bow down and worship him. And you go, man, the Spirit's not mentioned there except he is because there is no worship of the Father and there is no worship of the Son that isn't empowered by the Spirit. Have you ever, have you ever had that moment where something just stirs you up? Michelle and I say it this way. Michelle and I have been married for 14 years. We uh, dated for six months prior to our marriage. Uh, so this May will be like 15 years total since we first started dating. And we love each other and we adore each other and we have a lot of fun. But there are moments, I, I need you to hear me clearly, we love each other all the time. There are moments we just love each other extra. You just wake up one day and you're like, I don't know what it is, but I just love you extra today. Not that I didn't love her yesterday, not that yesterday was a bad day, but I just, there's something extra today. You, does that make sense? Anybody can resonate with that? It, you go through your Christian life and you're like, man, I love the Lord. And then there are moments, there's just these moments where you're just like, I just love him extra today. I'm just really aware today of how much he loves me and the grace he's lavished upon me and how much he saved me. And Anybody ever have those moments, those just little glimpses? That's not you. That's not you. Left to your own devices, you'd shake your fist at heaven. That is the spirit in you. And we sit here and go, man, God, I love you a little bit extra today. And Jesus, thank you for dying for us. And usually in those moments, we forget the Spirit, but we forget that it is the Spirit who is bringing us to the place where we are worshiping the Father and the Son. Like he's present in it. Don't miss that. When Micah or Cameron or, or, or Stephen and Hannah or Katie lead us in worship and they're standing here on the stage and one day the song that we've sung a hundred times just strikes you differently and you just go, man, thank you, God. In that next heartbeat, if you would, just remember back to this sermon and go, and thank you, Spirit, for stirring this up in me. You don't have passion for God by yourself. You're not a faithful follower of God by yourself. My goodness, ourselves couldn't get us to God. What do you think? Ourselves can keep us in God? It's the Spirit. And aren't we grateful for Him? And I am not content to rest on my laurels and just say what I've learned about God is enough. Because the Spirit in me has one purpose, and that is to bring me further into the presence of God. And I'm like, let's just keep going. If, I, if I'm going to live another 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, give me more. And that prayer, give me more, is really about Holy Spirit, teach me, enlighten me, bring me further into the presence of the King. Regard the Spirit as worthy of honor and praise. He is, after all, the one who opens up our eyes and our hearts. That was a short application. That's it. We're done. Just like that. And now we're going to spend some time in prayer. I know. Come back for part two if you want to uh, next week. I'd love for you to do that. I promise you I'm going to leave a lot on the table next week, too, because to talk about this, the power of God would take us another six months or the power of the Spirit. But today, here's our prayer. Our prayer is this. God, we ask that you'd help us to remember and honor the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer today. God, we pray that you, we ask that you'd help us to remember and honor the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to do is I just want to take a moment, right where you are, to spend some time in prayer. And would you just pray this, this thing that's here on the screen? God, help us to remember and honor the Holy Spirit. Take just a moment to pray that, would you please?
God, we don't get it. We don't have any means by which our brains can comprehend how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one but different. But oh my goodness, we are grateful for all. Grateful that you loved us, grateful that Christ died for us, grateful that the Spirit enlightened us to the understanding of it. Just so incredibly grateful. And I don't know, God, if there's someone in the room who kind of shares my upbringing where we were taught about you in the Old Testament, Lord God, taught about Jesus in the New, but the Holy Spirit was skipped over. But I pray that we would be a church and we would be a group of believers who would rightly value the Holy Spirit, that we would delight in you. You'd help us to remember and to honor the Spirit, Lord God. And somehow that's weird to ask that because we know that the one who teaches us is the Spirit, so... Spirit, remind us of yourself. As we continue in prayer, would you just take a moment, and if you're able to, if you're able to pray it and mean it, recognizing that there is more of God to know, more of God to delight in, more of God to enjoy, would you just pray that the Holy Spirit would teach you more? that the Holy Spirit would show you more of God, that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes and your hearts to delight in God and enjoy in God more. Take just a moment to ask that. <laughs> 